Hi, I'm Pastor Gibb, and we're going to talk about friends. What do you think of when you hear the word friends? Remember the first time you saw BFF on a text or an email? I had to ask my daughter, what is that? Okay. And she explained, best friend forever. Okay. I never called somebody my BFF. You know, I use real words. Maybe you think of Friends, the TV show that I think will be playing until the last cast member dies. What about Michael W. Smith's song, A Friend's a Friend Forever, Cause the Lord's the Lord Above. You may remember that if you're a certain age. I want to talk about friends today. What do friends do? I had a friend in school. He and I went to school for 10 years. And he and I were drinking buddies. And we were unsuccessfully chasing women buddies. (laughs) And he came to Christ. And suddenly he wasn't drinking anymore. And he was encouraging me to go to Bible studies, to young life, to Christian groups. And he got me to start reading the Bible. And after about six months in of going to these groups and Bible studies and reading the Bible, one night I'm reading through the Gospel of John and I realized that I have never believed and made a commitment. And that night, I prayed every way I could think of, sort of a Heinz 57 type prayer, that I believe that Jesus had died for me and my life changed. The theme today is friends bring friends to Jesus. Point one. The setting for friends bring friends to Jesus. We're going to look at Luke 5, starting with verse 17. And on one of those days, as he, Jesus, was teaching, the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee, from Judea, and from Jerusalem. Jesus is teaching. That's what Jesus did. He taught. He taught the people. The gospels are full of his teachings. We can read them. The Beatitudes, Sermon of the Mount, all sorts of great things, parables. Jesus was not of a priestly family like his nephew John. He was not one of the students of the great teacher Gamaliel like the apostle Paul was. He was baptized by John and God the Father, when Jesus came out of the water, said, this is my son. He was the promised Messiah, but the religious leaders of the day missed that. One of the focuses of Luke, the writer of this gospel, is Jesus' authority. 
It comes up over and over again. He had authority from God the Father, and he used it. He taught with authority. He acted with authority. And as God, he had the infinite capacity to know, see, and understand even those sitting in front of him. And right in front of him were the religious leaders of the day. Now, I want you to understand, every time I sit on this chair, I have become a Pharisee. So I'm gonna speak for the Pharisees, talk like a Pharisee, okay? We're the Pharisees. We're righteous before God. We're here watching and listening to this man closely. We deserve front row seats because of our righteousness and our position in society. We have heard about this Jesus teaching and even doing some strange things, like they call them miracles. And we have come from all over Israel to check him out. It's our role as Pharisees and teachers of the law to check things out and to shape the religious practice of our people, to uphold righteous living. We have to guard against false teaching and leading people and sinners further astray. What Jesus is doing is alarming. He's not teaching what we teach to obey the law and to make sure that you're tithing and are ritually clean. We desire to be exact and accurate in everything we do with the law. We even tithe our garden seeds. We're not judgmental because we appeal to everyone to be righteous before God, just like us. We've memorized the Pentateuch. We know the law. We believe and teach that you are righteous because of what you do and believe. If you want to be truly righteous before God, follow our Pharisee script and you will be right with God. Remember, the apostle Paul said as a Pharisee, he was blameless before the law. So they are sitting there listening to every word, evaluating, judging, and deciding about Jesus. They already know that Jesus is not trained by them. He's not a recognized or approved teacher, but he's not claiming to be one of them either. In their minds, he cannot be righteous or claim to be righteous. In a moment, 
Jesus will claim something even more unbelievable to their ears. He will claim to be God, but there's an interruption in this. Point two, friends bring friends to Jesus. The end of 17, and the power of the Lord was with them to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. Luke makes the point clear. Jesus had the power to heal. And thus, the friends bring their friend to Jesus. The creator God of the universe, human form, 100%, 100% God, capable of correcting any bodily injury, disease, or emotional, spiritual trauma and to make a person whole. He does not need the approval of the Pharisees to do the Father's will. Have you ever thought about what it would be like to be around Jesus? It was crazy at times. People are crushing in. They're smashing in. The crowd is so big, somebody else could not even get in. People are screaming out to him at times. People are begging him. Those are all things that we do. Now the paralytic's friends could not get to Jesus, so they tear the roof up so that they could drop their friend in front of Jesus. And there he is on a cot, unable to move, probably unable to speak, and he's between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day. In case you're wondering what they're thinking, that man is a paralytic because of his parents' sin or his sin. And God cannot hear him because of that sin. Jesus, what do What happens when friends bring friends to him? Point three, Jesus, friends bring friends to Jesus to be healed and to begin the healing process. Jesus responds in love and in faith. When he saw their faith, 
he said to the paralytic, man, your sins are forgiven you. We live at a time where people say pronouns are important. I think they always were. Their faith, their faith, the friends that brought the friend are part of that there. The paralytic at somewhere or another is believing. And Jesus said, man, your sins are forgiven. What's the connection between faith, belief, and the forgiveness of sins? Our sin separates us from God. Faith reconnects us in that relationship with God. It's not any faith. It's not a hope, I hope, I hope. No, it's a faith in Jesus. When we believe in Jesus' death for our sins, amazing exchange happens. We become identified with his death, burial, and resurrection, and our life changes. We're born again. We're forgiven. We're accepted by God. Let's go back into the Old Testament and look at an example that these guys would have been very familiar with. Genesis 15. I'm going to go and read it off there. And he, God, brought him, Abraham, outside and said, Look towards heaven. Number the stars, if you're able to number them. And he, God, said to him, Abraham, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord who was standing in front of him. And God counted it to him as righteousness. He believed. He believed. Abraham believed God. He trusted God. He put his faith in him. God is righteous. He makes righteous decisions 100% of the time. He saw Abraham's faith and declared Abraham righteous, meaning he overlooks Abraham's sin and forgives it. Point, God and God alone can forgive sin. These guys believe that. They know that. Jesus saw the man and his friends, faith, and forgave the paralytic sin. Jesus is claiming to have the authority to do that in front of the religious leaders and the rest of the crowd. He is claiming to be God incarnate. Picture yourself as the paralytic. Here's Jesus, someone you've been told would heal you, could heal you. 
You've been raised in a religious system where your sins are covered over by the sacrifice of animals. But as a paralytic, you're not even allowed into the temple to sacrifice for your sins. Someone else has to do that. But Jesus has just forgiven your sins because of your simple faith in him. I want to assume that the paralytic was not disappointed. The text does not say how he felt, how he acted. He may have felt unburdened. He may have felt free. He may not have felt anything. He may have been totally overwhelmed. His healing has begun. It's just not obvious to the observer. When we bring our friends to Jesus, we may expect this or that reaction. We have to ultimately trust God to work in their lives if they believe. Some people have an immediate radical change of life and others a slow eventual change. There's nothing we can do besides bring our friends to Jesus and pray for their response. Jesus saying, man, your sins are forgiven, brings a totally different response from the religious leaders. Point four, when friends bring friends to Jesus, not everybody's happy. Okay? I bet some of you all have experienced that. My parents were not overly happy with me. 21, when the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Think like a Pharisee for a moment. I'm not conflicted. I'm not conflicted at all. Jesus just claimed to be God and saying that he could only do, he's doing something that only God can do. He is blaspheming. He's wrong. He cannot be God. He can't even claim to be God. He certainly can't be the Messiah come to free his people. We would know if Messiah came, right? He would come to us because we're the righteous ones. Our thinking is clear, concise, thorough. And my amygdala is going off big time. In modern neuropsychology, they're pretty much left-brainers. Come on, smile, people. You guys know what left-brainers are. We live in a community of them, okay? They know the scripture. They know the rules. They know the guidelines. And the guidelines they created to make them 
be in right relationship with God. The problem is they're missing it. They're missing who's standing in front of them. They could neither see or acknowledge who Jesus was because their man-made religion and thoughts were wrong about Jesus. And I want to ask you, are you missing it? Are you missing Jesus? Point five, friends bring friends to Jesus for forgiveness and healing. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them. Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. You can picture the scene very well. Here's a man lowered by his friends to Jesus to be healed. Jesus has addressed the deepest need of every human being, and that's to be forgiven of their sins and be in right relationship with God. The men hanging down from the roof are ecstatic for their friend. The religious leaders are sitting there. They're apoplectic. They're going crazy because of what Jesus is saying. This man is claiming to be God. Jesus is not addressing their left brainness. They're thinking they're looking, they're comparing, contrasting, even though he does a compare contrast, saying, which is easier, your sins are forgiven or to rise up and walk? He's addressing their heart, their inner core. What do you see? Why do you question? Now, brief excursion real quick. I've been in prayer meetings where we prayed desperately or for a long time for someone for God to heal them. Some are healed, like Kim Stratmatter, over the last two weeks. God has restored her to health. Others die. We have to be careful not to say they are there, they died because of a lack of faith. I am not saying that in this message, okay? God is the one who has authority over life and death, and he has a plan.
Jesus is backing up his authority to forgive sin with a supernatural miracle. He is altering time and space continuum in front of the Pharisees. So what's the result of this? Point six, friends bring friends to Jesus to the glory of God. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he was lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we've seen extraordinary things today. Yeah. Yeah. The paralytic got up and went home. The audience was amazed and stunned. A couple of challenges. Challenge one. Jesus' authority extends to the forgiveness of sins and restoring a relationship with God. Am I believing in my mind and heart that he died for me and come into a relationship with him? Do I believe and trust that he can forgive my worst actions, words, and thoughts? And if you want to talk about that, come up after the service. There'll be people up here to talk. Challenge two. Friends bring friends to Jesus for the glory of God. We're in a season of sharing Ebenezer stories and moments where we see God acting in our lives and on behalf of us. Pray and ask God for an opportunity to share what God has done in your life. You have all sorts of opportunities. It may just be brief. It may be long, but share what God is doing in your life. Share. Challenge three. Who does God want me to come alongside of to encourage, to serve, and testify what he has done? The first, the previous challenge was kind of a broad thing. Looking, God may have some specific people that he wants you to pull alongside of. And finally, challenge four. Friends bring friends to Jesus. The goal here is not guilt. I don't want you walking out of here feeling guilty. Oh my gosh. Okay. God loves you. And there's not pressure, but a realization that there's not a greater relationship needed by anyone. What roof are you willing to tear up to get your friend to Jesus? Pray with me. Father, lead us individually as groups and as a church to seek what you have for us and friendship, bringing friends to Jesus to where they know, they see,
what you can do in their life. Speak to us, lead us, give us courage to speak out. It's in Christ's name.